0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, good morning. Why don't we come on in and find our seats? And we'll get started here today. I want to kick off with a a few announcements, really important announcements. So if we could have your full attention, that would be awesome. Uh, The first announcement is... Um, Some of you already know kind of how our leadership development process works with elders. Um, The Bible talks about elders as being those that shepherd, uh, oversee the local church. And we have uh, two men that have been through our elder development process and have been elder candidates for a year now or a little more. And so the full elders are recommending James Garcia and Houston Tucker to become full elders. Now, here's where you guys participate in that. Um, we want feedback from you guys. If you have any concerns, um, and not just negative things, positive things too. Um, so if you just want to say, yeah, I've, like, Houston is my city group leader, and I just really want to affirm him, the elders want to know that. If you have any concerns about them becoming full elders, we'd love to know that as well. So a lot of you don't even know who the elders are. Um, You can find pictures on the website. Um, And oftentimes you'll see them, like Brian McGinn, up this this morning doing uh, facilitation. Oh, there it is, boom. Ask and you shall receive. Um, Okay, so two weeks uh, on Houston and James Garcia. And we're really excited for them. Secondly, uh, Kim and I are taking a trip to Ecuador, leaving on Thursday, to invest in uh, Justin and Laurel, who we have sent out last September to facilitate a ministry of leadership development and church planting in Ecuador. And because we're so vitally connected to them and partnering with them, we want to take care of them. And part of that is uh, pastoring them, and not just from a distance, but with them. And so that's part of our DNA as a church is those that we support among neighbors and nations, church planning here, church planning abroad. Uh, We have real relationships with them. It's not just money. Um, Real relationships. So Justin and I, or Justin and I, Kim and I are going to meet with uh, Justin and Laurel uh, next week, and also Stephen Sandy, who a lot of you know, who oversee this ministry, are transitioning to a new ministry in the United States. The baton is formally being passed to Justin Laurel. There's going to be a huge party and celebration um, that Kim and I are also going to be a part of. So if you could pray for us, that would be awesome. Uh, we'll be gone for about a week. And then finally, if you have any questions today about the sermon, about anything, we'll have a five minutes at the end, like we've been doing. Um, send Houston Tucker a direct message on Slack. Any questions about anything? And Houston will sort through those and text me the questions. So, uh, right. Let's dive into where we have been in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, open up to chapter 2, either paper or digital. And I want to kind of set the stage for where our text fits into the whole of Philippians. Okay? Okay. Where have we been? Where are we going in Philippians? And I, want, I really want you to see this. This is really important, okay? So if you look back, it won't be on the screen, and that's okay. Uh, but if you look back at Philippians 1.27, and if you, if you don't have it yet, that's okay. I'll just read it. Paul says to this ancient church in Philippi, modern-day Greece, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that what? That you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What's that sound like? One spirit, one mind, side by side? Does it sound like unity or disunity? Sounds like unity, right? Look at chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's verse 3. Look at verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What does that sound like? Sounds like unity, right? One mind, full accord, same mind, right? And then jump down to verse 14 of chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. By nature, grumbling or disputing assumes that someone's there to hear it. Now, sure, you can do that in your heart. But for the most part, you know, when we're grumbling and and disputing, disputing especially, we do that with one another, right? Right? If that's happening all the time, there can't be a strong church. That's going to be a disunified church, right? So today we're looking at verses 12 through 18, but what I wanted to show you, especially as we focus on verses 12 and 13, what's the broader context? What does Paul have in mind? What what is his train of thought? Because that's so important as we zero in on verses 12 and 13. Paul's got unity, unity, unity for this ancient Philippian church in view the whole way. Okay? So in light of that, how do we understand our text for today? So this is our text for today. Verses 12, 13, and following. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me, okay? Okay? We do this all the time, and we're just going to keep doing it. i got to remind you of it, okay? The word therefore. What's the therefore therefore? The therefore is he's connecting verse 12 with what just preceded it, right? So let your eyes glance over what just preceded it. Do you remember what James Garcia preached so well last week? That Christ humbled himself... By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God himself humbling himself to death, laying down his life. Like, he's as humble as it gets. And he's as exalted as it gets. Because every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That was last week. Christ's humiliation and exaltation. And in light of that vision, Paul says, therefore... You with me? See how it's connected? We always have to see the connections when you're reading your Bible. So we say in light of that, now you have the power to live in harmony with one another. Be united to one another. Okay? So he's saying, verse 12, my beloved, therefore, in light of this picture I just painted of this glorious picture of Jesus... Now I want you to do something. You with me? My beloved, as you have always obeyed, you've got a track record of obedience, he says to this Philippian church, loves them. What does he say? He just says, keep going, keep going. Where do we see that? Not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Remember, he's in prison. He's absent from them. Here's what he wants them to do. He wants them to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, here's why the context stuff is such a big deal. Like, I, I've memorized this verse in college, right? But I would just memorized it on its own. Like, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, again, we're, we are, uh, we're Protestants. We, we reject works-based salvation at every turn. So it doesn't mean get to work so that God can save you. What this means is, if you say you're Christian, act like it. If you say you're Christian, put it on display. Put your works on display. If you say you're Christian, live it out. That's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the Bible certainly teaches that, okay? If you're just to read this verse in isolation, you're not gonna become a heretic the Bible certainly teaches what I just said, but it's more profound than that if you think about it in its context. Remember what we talked about with context here? What's Paul's aim from pretty much beginning to, to where we are right now of the book? It's unity. This Philippian church is under pressure. They've got to stay united. Pressure of persecution, you've got to stay united, Okay? So when we remember that, the meaning of verse 12 and 13 gets more specific, and I think a little more helpful. He's not just talking about general Christian living in light of the gospel on display for an onlooking world, though that is true and biblical, but because unity of the church is so in view before this text and after it, don't don't be grumbling and disputing with each other, verse 14. This this working out or living out your salvation is a call to live in such a way as to promote unity in the church. Okay? It's more specific in light of the context. He's saying if you know Jesus as exalted, if you know Jesus as humbled, and he's living inside of you, We've got to have this vision to promote unity in this church so that we're not divided because of this extreme pressure of persecution. See me sitting in prison. This working out or living out your salvation is a call to live in such a way as to promote unity in the church. See, Paul's just not dropping random things in his letter. We sometimes read the Bible that way or memorize scripture that way. But it's all connected. Display your salvation to an onlooking world. Work it out. Put your works in in the real world that can be observed. But do that in such a way when you're together and all the time that, that unity is promoted. Right? Is that clear? It's really important that we catch that. But he also says this. This is really fascinating. He says, do all things without, I'm sorry, verse 13. Uh, Actually, end of verse 12. Work out your own salvation in a certain way with fear and trembling. What does that mean? What does that mean? We gotta keep reading. Because what does verse 13 say? For... Meaning, like, listen up, I'm about to give you the reason why fear and trembling. The reason why fear and trembling is because, or for, same word in the Greek, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So put on these works in light of the gospel you believe. And, Siri, why do you do that? I don't understand. Someone coached me up on my watch to not have that happen anymore. Um, so, what was I saying? Uh, fear and trembling. <laughs> fear and trembling uh, leads to God working in you, right? We're going to do this unity thing. My work's on display for the sake of unity in the church. We're going to do it with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work in you, okay? So think about it. Let me, let me tell you, let me give you an example what I, what I think this is like. I have a friend who is a, I don't know if he, what the title, officer, agent, uh, agent, I think, agent in the ATF. The ATF is like the FBI, but it's like alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Mainly it's illegal firearms they deal with. And sometimes, um, he, as an ATF agent, they would get like some kind of like a side hustle work where they would get uh, paid or asked if they'd be interested to be like a bodyguard for somebody, okay? So, for example, there'd be sometimes these, these big meetings with all of these high-level diplomats or you know royalty from the Middle East or whatever that might converge on New York City at the United Nations or something like that for some big, huge meeting. And, for example, maybe it's the King of Jordan, and there's, he's assigned for the reason, maybe he's assigned four ATF agents to kind of be his bodyguards, um, accompany him, be with him all day long. And he he would tell me, like, it's kind of fun, actually, because, um, you know, you got to be on your toes, but usually nothing crazy goes down, and the king of Jordan wants to go shopping, and he's just dropping crazy cash, and they're just hanging out, watching him do his thing, you know. Um... So they're with this guy all day long. Whatever he wants to do, they're just going with him, you know, and, and they got some serious tips, as you can imagine. But the deal is, if that's your job and you're with a, and you're with a high-level diplomat or, or royalty from a certain country all day long, you're going to carry yourself in a certain way. Like, you're not going to be lazy. You're not going to be just cracking jokes with the guy. Um, you're going to carry yourself with humility, with reverence, in light of this person's position. This is a very important person in that, in that country, in their government. So you carry yourself with reverence and humility, and you take this thing really seriously, right? But Paul is saying something similar, but even more profound, it's not like you're accompanying some high-level diplomat all day. He's saying the God of the universe is actually with you, in you. You carry him with you. He's working in you. See that in verse 13? So if, if God is working in you, does that mean like, all right, sweet, God's in me, so let's keep on sinning. Let's sin as much as we can. Or I'm just going to carry myself with extreme laziness, lackadaisical, whatever. No. He's saying you should have fear and trembling, not like horror movie fear and trembling. That's not fear and trembling in the Bible. Fear and trembling means more like reverence and humility. He said carry yourself with reverence and humility because the God of the universe who set the stars in the sky and pulled the mountains out of the ground. He lives in you. See that? So to sum up, what Paul is saying here to this Philippian church is that if if you're a Christian, and he's already told them, verse 12, looks like you guys are doing well. There's a track record of obedience demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Just keep going, living out your faith in such a way that promotes unity, all the while knowing that God is working this in you through his sovereign spirit, and that should humble you even more and cause you to stand in awe of who you are in Christ as a church, okay? So what does all that mean for us? Well, it should probably feel pretty clear, I would imagine, You've been saved by Jesus' work. So, how can that translate to you living in a certain way to promote unity in the church? That's the key question. That's what Paul's trying to answer. That's what they're thinking about. And that's what we should be thinking about as we listen in to how he's coaching up this ancient Philippian church. Let me say it again. You've been saved by Jesus' work, you've seen the humiliation, you've seen the exaltation of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. And you believe in him and what he said and what he did. So how can that translate to you living in a certain way to promote unity in the church? How does this working out of your salvation, what does that actually look like? See, our human hearts haven't changed that much in 2,000 years. Context and culture is different. Human hearts are very much the same. So the how, how is this, what, what is this working out of my salvation, displaying my salvation that promotes unity, what's that going to look like, really specifically? That's what we should all be wondering right now. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump to a different text where Paul illustrates and outlines the how really, really clearly, okay? So usually I don't do this, but we're going to jump to another text, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. This is the how, okay? And he had the same goal for the Roman church, unity, light light of pressure and persecution, right? He just gets more descriptive and, and more detailed in the how. So look at Romans 12, starting in verse 9. And I want to read it slowly, um, And really think about it, okay? This is what it says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Stop right there. Can can you see and feel in your mind how beautiful this is and how if we all collectively did this, in, in reciprocating relationships, how that would promote amazing unity. Like if this is what our working out, living out of our salvation looked like in the local church every single day, how that would be such a beautiful, beautiful place to spend time. You sense that? Like just for example, um, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Have you ever had someone like try to do that in your life? Maybe it's a spouse or a family member or a coworker. You just felt like they're just trying to honor you all the time. They're trying to outdo you in showing honor. Like I would imagine you probably feel loved by them and united to them, right? Like if it says show hospitality here in Romans 12. If someone just shows you consistent hospitality, this is beautiful, there's always a, a, a great meal prepared. There's always good conversation. Like, that makes you feel loved and, and united to that person, I would imagine, right? How about if you're suffering really deeply and someone just shows up and they just cry with you? They're not trying to have all the answers. They're just willing to sit in the mess with you. And their tears are your tears. Like, that makes you feel loved. That makes you feel united to that person, Right? So can you see and feel how Paul's call for the Philippian church to live out their faith, they say they believe, would contribute to strength and unity of the church, which he's so passionate about. And this Romans 12 is just a more detailed description of how we do it. How we go about verse 13 of Philippians 2. Now, I want to do this again. But I want to do the opposite. Sometimes when we look at a Bible text and we consider the opposite, it makes the, the positive just land that much deeper, right? So here's the opposite of Romans 12, 9 through 18. When you say you love someone, it should be fake. Rejoice in what is evil and cast aside what, that which is good hate one another as alienated enemies disrespect each other as often as possible don't let your emotions get excited about the gospel serve yourself first be pessimistic when things are hard let your impatience overflow ignore god by not praying to him be greedy and never open your home to others if someone harms you harm them back even worse if you can Stir up violent division as often as possible. And that sounds horrible, right? Who wants to be a part of that? That sounds like hell on earth. But here's what's tragic, as I was doing this exercise this week in preparation. As I read a few of these, some of these, like, man, I don't think we're that far off sometimes. Like, have you ever been in that heated political discussion around the, around the table with some family members maybe? Is there any of this anti-Romans 12 that comes alive? You ever read the comments on Christian Twitter? I'd encourage you not to. There's a lot of this in there. It's sad. Man, I, I look at my own heart. And there's times when I've not been that far off from the anti-Romans 12. I mean, even if I've not explicitly done these things, I see the tendencies or the leaning or the desire to lean in the direction of the horror of of this. So, So I think what that tells me, if I'm honest about my own heart, that should sober me up to the fact that if I'm not careful, I can sow disunity in this church. I'm able to do it. So there should be some fear and trembling, humility and reverence, right? In light of who Jesus is and what he's done, spelled out so clearly in, in James's text from last week. And that same God is working in me. He's empowering me. I carry him with me in my very being so humility and reverence should, should sober me up to what's at stake, but also encourage me that when I read Romans 12, there's a vision there that can make this church so beautiful, so beautiful. When we live out the implications of this gospel that we believe, like that's Paul's whole goal for the local church. A beautiful church that's united in the face of opposition from the world, that's the whole point here. And so he just keeps going. This is like a little, another admonition similar to Romans 12. He just says it differently in in verse 14. So let's keep reading in verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So Paul's just continuing to hammer away at what's it going to take for us to be united. Right? No grumbling, no disputing. Why does he say that? Why do you think? You ever been in a group of people that was just grumbling and disputing all the time? It's not very fun, is it? Like, if that's just the the track record, it's like, get me out of here. I'm gonna quit. If that was your workplace, and it's just people arguing all the time, I'm looking for another job, right? Imagine running a marathon, And this is a unique marathon where you have to be with five other people and for you to win, you have to all cross the finish line together, okay? Marathon's hard just by yourself, but if you're carrying the weight of the metaphorical weight of uh, other people and you got to do it together, that's an added layer of pressure, right? Running a marathon, there's emotional pressure. There's physical pressure. Anybody who's done it, you know. It's intense. So let's add now some relational pressure. Okay? So one scenario is you're with your group of five people running this marathon and everybody's bickering. Everybody's just, you know, trying to do their own thing. Everybody's out for themselves. What do you think is gonna happen? But forget this. It's so easy to quit. I mean, it's easy to quit when you're by yourself. Now imagine you're with a group of five people, and all it is is just encouragement of one another, cheering each other on, reminding one another of of your training, and what you're able to do, and how it's just one more. Let's just let's just go one more mile, and then let's just go one more mile after that. Like you're gonna finish. You're gonna finish. I, I've done that before in a in a race where this guy didn't even know me and he just comes up alongside me and he's like, hey man, I'm running with you, let's go. And, uh, and I got a PR because he just ran alongside me and he encouraged me. Like ministry, discipleship in the church, believe me, it's a marathon. It's a marathon. The amount of guys, like I'm 45, the amount of guys that I've seen even at age 45 that have quit, or disqualify themselves. It's intense. Like it's a marathon. And it's easy to, to, to quit or to, to give up. Even if you're not in full-time ministry, just being a Christian sometimes is hard. This is why Paul says here what he says. He's saying, man, if we're grumbling and disputing, it's going to cause people to drop off. You don't know how many people have dropped off because we're arguing about masks, because we're arguing about vaccines, because we're arguing about Trump? You hear me? I, don't, I, think, I think Paul's saying here, guys, there's things to, to, to dispute about. Like, it's the, it's the primary issues of the gospel and the Bible Like, it grieves me when we argue about vaccines, but no one really cares about, like, true doctrine. Like, is Jesus who he said he was? Did he really rise from the dead? Like, if we're going to argue about something, that's what we argue about, right? Did did he really pay for my sins, or is he just a moral example? Like, those are the things that we're going to argue about if we have to. Okay? But Paul's saying there's such a thing as disputable matters. Don't divide over those. Okay? Grumbling and disputing, just like in the marathon, is going to cause people to fall off, to give up. So we have to be a community of encouragement, of love in light of how Christ has encouraged us, right? And so, why do we have to be this beautiful community? Because Paul tells us here. Look back at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine. We're not shining when we're arguing about vaccines. I promise you. We're not shining when we bow down to some political false god. I promise you we're not shining. So you shine as lights in the world. Catch this. It has content. It's content. The content's not masks and vaccines. (laughs) It's not what he's talking about. What's the content? The content is holding fast to the word of life. What is that? It's the gospel. It's what James preached last week. This this vision of Jesus that's so compelling that it causes us to have reverence and humility and live in a way that's beautiful, that promotes unity. Look at verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ... Paul says, I may be proud, like at the end, at the day of Christ, when it's all made right, that's what he's thinking about, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So why no grumbling and complaining? Because there's an onlooking world that wants to see that you guys are the real deal. You guys are going to shine. What does your shine look like? Right? There's people watching. Our call is to shine. Right, the onlooking world is dark. It's a twisted generation, he says. He's already said it in the, in the in 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 the Sermon on the Mount that we're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. It's like a, uh, it's like, a like a lighthouse for all these ships out here on a foggy night need an orientation, a, a point of orientation. That's the, supposed to be the church. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world, he says to his disciples and all that come after. So you can feel what's at stake in our behavior. People are watching us run this marathon and on our jersey says Team Jesus. All right, so Paul has been aiming at the unity of the church all the way in this letter and I'm convinced that if he was writing to us, he'd write the same things. we got different issues, but it's the same heart, right? Like oftentimes people will be apathetic when we tell them about Jesus. we got to keep talking. We have to, declaration, demonstration, declaration, demonstration. The declaration has to come, keep coming. But if they don't want to hear it, They won't hear our words, they have to hear our lives. You with me? And the beauty of unity is compelling in a fractured world that's imploding through divisions. Let me remind you of the gospel. You are not saved because you've been perfectly the light of the world, you're not saved because you've accomplished Romans 12 perfectly. You're not saved because you've worked, displayed your salvation perfectly in the world for your neighbors. Jesus has done that. He is the display. And as you come to him, you're free to repent. Man, I blew it with Romans 12. I was not the light of the world at work today. You're free to repent. And Jesus' perfection is granted to you as a gift so you can get up and start all over again. And again, point to him Man, I'm a failure, but Jesus is not, and I've been forgiven by him. Let me tell you about it. You you feel what I'm saying? So let's do verse 16. Hold fast to this word of life. And as we do, there'll be beauty on display. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. We ask that you would help us in these things. Father, we, we need your help. We need your help. And we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, let's do a couple questions. Number three, uh, here we go. Uh, The world sees the multitude of Christian denominations and sees disunity. How do we fight back against this perception on a macro level? It's a great question. So there's... There's unity... That doesn't look like being in the same building together, right? So, for example, I have relationships with a lot of other pastors in the city. We don't share the same building, um, we're not in the same church family, but we would be very united to them. An example of that is when new people come to our church. I tell them all the time hey, we're not, we don't think we're the only game in town. We're here to just do what we feel like God has called us to do. But if you don't resonate with that in terms of like maybe some preferences or something, um, there's other great churches in this town. And we would love to help you find the church that works for you, right? I love Red Village Church. I love Metro Believers Church. I love the churches that we've planted. You know, I love Christ Church and Sun Prairie. You know, lots of great churches. So by the way that we talk, about other people and other Christians, that's a way that we promote unity, right? So unity isn't just all one church with all the same ministry, uh, but unity can be reflected in our words, right? And just like my household, uh, we're united, my wife and my four kids. But the Martinsons live next door right now. And we're not in the same household, but we feel very united to them because we're on the same team. Um, we, we can serve one another. We can promote one another. We can, you know, do different things together, okay? So I think that's, like, if, if the world senses that we feel like we're the only game in town and we've got the corner on everything and there's no humility... Like, that just feels like, wow, that's a disunified mess. But if we outdo one another in showing honor, like among other churches, um, we can fight back against this perception. That's what the question is asking. How do we do that? There's a lot of good questions here. Alright, I'm, I'm gonna have time for one more. Should we be united with people? This is tough. Uh, that's a good question. Should we be united with people who say they are Christians, but we think they aren't because of doctrine, actions, etc.? Are we running the marathon with them too? So it just depends. Um, so we would, and this has been a debate for all of Christian history, last 2,000 years. Primary issues, secondary issues, tertiary issues, I don't know, what's the fourth, whatever, quadrary issues, whatever. So there's, there's a hierarchy, right? And the Bible isn't, um, we would say that there's certain things that are very, very clearly Primary, like 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes and says, I write to you that which is of first importance. He says it, primary, first importance, that Christ died according to the scriptures and was raised according to the scriptures. So the death and resurrection of Jesus, primary, right? If you reject that, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's say. If that's your position, we will not be united, okay? Okay? We would say you're not a Christian. Anybody can call themselves a Christian. My atheist, college religion professor called himself a Christian for lots of interesting reasons, but he rejected everything that we believe. So not united with those people. Another example would be First Corinthians five. The church in Corinth is a, is a mess. And there is a guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. He's in their church. So you, you assume that he's saying and acting like he's a Christian. And Paul says, no unity with that guy. Kick him out. Like you can't uh, tolerate sexual immorality that even unbelievers think is kind of wild. There's no unity with that, okay? So sexual immorality, of which all of us are guilty in one degree or another, that's not the issue. The issue is repentance or not. Sexual immorality without repentance, while I say I'm a Christian, no unity with that, okay? So it gets more complex when we talk about issues like disagreements about baptism, Disagreements about the Lord's Supper. Like historically, people went to war over the Lord's Supper. People died, shed blood over a vision of the Lord's Supper. So, what we have to do is really know our Bibles, okay? And there's not gonna probably be a black and white answer for what exactly is primary, what exactly is secondary, what exactly is tertiary, but We can probably get close, but you're never going to figure that out if you don't know your Bible, okay? Like, what does the Bible say? And let's just start with what it says and and just try to figure out, like, like what is clear, and then we'll work from what is clear to maybe what is more hazy or or gray, okay? So that's how I think we would think about, um, is there unity with people who say they're Christians, but we think that they aren't? Um, and, 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 and judging whether someone is a Christian or not, you let's just say this real quick. You can't make definitive statements about someone's eternal standing because if they're still alive, their story's not finished yet. But we have a doctrine of church discipline that says based on what we see right now, when there's no repentance, then we have to do church discipline and pro- if it goes the full way and there's no repentance, then there is no Unity. You get removed from the church in that sense. Okay. There's a lot we could talk about there. Um, that's probably enough for now. There, I got seven questions from this. What I would like to do is address some of these on Slack um, or maybe make it into a podcast. So just uh, stay tuned. I, I don't want people to feel like their questions aren't being answered. So look for a podcast. Look for Slack, and we'll address some of these. Okay.